0: The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2010 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For other audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at FOI.org. A number of years ago, the Office of Postmaster General of the United States received a phone call from a man who demanded, he was quite insistent that the uh, post office issue a stamp commemorating the second coming of Jesus Christ. The official who took the phone call replied by saying, if you can tell me the exact time and place, we will. Well, somehow the news media caught this story and printed it, and to the post office's great surprise, they received 12 letters from people who said they knew both the time and the place of the return of Jesus Christ. Do you remember back, I think it was in the 80s, a man sent out a book to pastors all across the country and he had it all figured out? And he set a date, and the date came and passed, and then he had to write another book. Jesus clearly said, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. But Jesus did give his disciples details about the events that would immediately precede his return as king to establish his kingdom. As we approach Matthew chapter 24 this morning, part 1, tomorrow morning part 2, we have come to the point in Matthew's gospel in which Messiah's messages, his miracles, his ministry have all come to a close. All that remains is the cross. But before the agony of his sacrificial death, Jesus delivers a final message, a message on end-time events that would precede and signal his second coming as Israel's king. Now this morning, we want to examine two essential keys to understanding Matthew chapter 24. First of all, there is what I would call the dispensational key. Don't let that word scare you. I realize that has become a dirty word in some circles, an unpopular word today, theologically. I was talking to a pastor some time ago, and he said, I just don't like the term dispensationalism. I said, well, pastor, let me ask you a question. I said, do you believe that there is a difference between Israel and the church? He said, I do. I said, do you believe that there is a difference between grace and law? He said, I do. I said, do you distinguish between the old covenant and the new covenant? I do. I said, like it or not, you're a dispensationalist. The dispensational key. We need to approach this passage, Matthew 24, in a literal, historical, grammatical, plain-sense fashion. We also need to see the Jewish context of this text And need to understand that what is in view here is not the rapture of the church, but the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. So often I hear Matthew 24 preached as if the signs of Matthew 24 are signs of the rapture. They are not signs of the rapture, but signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. It's very important we understand that. The second key to understanding Matthew 24 is what I would call the division key. The entire chapter is devoted to answering two specific questions that are raised in verse 3. Notice Matthew 24, 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice in verse 3, there is a what, and that is answered in verses 4 through 28, and a when, which will be answered in verses 29 through 51. Let me just mention again that dispensational key, that, uh, that whole concept of this being a very Jewish passage. Warren Wiersbe said this, and I just love the writings of Warren Wiersbe. He says, we must keep in mind that the atmosphere of this discourse is Jewish. Jesus talked about Judea in verse 16, the Sabbath in verse 20, and the prophecies of Daniel concerning the Jewish people in verse 15. The full truth about the rapture of the church had not yet been revealed, for it was a mystery. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 44, he writes, indicates that our Lord was discussing events that will take place on earth during the time of tribulation. Well, in verses 1 through 3, we encounter the subject. In verses 1 and 2, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to him uh, to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then in verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, again the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The subject here is the destruction of Jerusalem. How many have been to Israel? How many have been to Jerusalem? Have you been to the temple complex, the rubble? Not much left, just as Jesus said. But I don't think that our Lord's answer is specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. I think he is looking toward the end of the age, at the events that will occur right before Messiah comes. Now, in verses 4 through 12, we have the signs that will precede the Lord's coming. The first tribulational sign that would indicate that the coming of the king is near is deception, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Throughout history, and throughout the history of the Jewish people, they have been easily led astray by deception. You'll remember there was that golden calf affair, Baal worship, other pagan idols, but the ultimate deception will come when they are taken in by the coming world ruler also known in the Bible as the beast or the antichrist. And this warning about spiritual deception parallels Revelation 6:2 and that rider that appears on the white horse. In fact, let me encourage you to do something a little fun assignment when you get home. Get out two Bibles. And then one, turn to Matthew 24. And then the other, turn to Revelation chapter 6. And do you know what you'll find? The events of Matthew 24 exactly parallel the events of Revelation 6. Another clue that this is tribulational and not church age. Not only will there be deception, but in verses 6 and 7, there will be destruction. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we'll stop right there for a moment. Jesus said that as the end nears, there will be tribal, national, international strife that will increase, resulting in wars and rumors of war. Again, the parallel passage is Revelation 6, the third and fourth seals, which describe war and bloodshed and death and destruction, all which are unprecedented at any time in human history. And then Jesus mentions some disasters that will also indicate that his coming as king is near. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Famines, earthquakes... Pestilences as the world has never seen. We seem to be hearing more and more about earthquakes today. Did you know that there has been a 42.8% spike in earthquakes measured worldwide between the year 2000 and the year 2008, according to U.S. government statistics? Are these labor pains or a sign of the second coming? Romans 8 does say this: We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Could it be that the Earth is trying to tell us something? Could it be that the geological sciences are trying to tell us something? We can't be sure. But we do need to be very, very careful here. Wasn't uh, just a few months ago we had a major earthquake here in Haiti and a major earthquake? I think it was in Chile and various places. And a number of people were saying, well, it must be that the rapture is getting very close. Stop for a minute. I need to remind you of something. The signs of Matthew 24 are there a signpost for a nation that we know as Israel regarding the coming of her Messiah King. It has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture is a signless event. The church is not to be looking for signs. The church is to be looking for the sun. One of the things I've observed over the years is that when people move away from a pre-tribulational position, they usually do one of two things. Number one, they sacrifice their view in the imminent return of Christ. Do you realize what happens immediately when you move from a pre-trib to a mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib position? You have done away with the imminent return of Jesus Christ because something else has to happen before Jesus can come. And you find Christians then looking for the Antichrist rather than for the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing they do is they insert the church in Matthew 24 you can read Matthew 24 again and again and again. You will not find the church in Matthew 24. Again, as Dr. Weirsby said, the rapture is a mystery. We have a hint at it in John 14, but it's really not developed until we get to Paul's writings in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. The word also means a secret. People will say, well, if there's such a thing as a rapture, why isn't it it, uh, written about more in the scriptures? Well, my friend, it's a secret. It's a mystery. This is not about the rapture. It's about the second coming. Well, in verse 8, we have delivery. All these are the beginning of sorrows. One translation renders verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pangs. Another renders it, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Some of our staff uh, met in Chico, California recently to do a day in the prophetic word there. We had a, a wonderful time and one lady came up to me uh, during one of the sessions or after one of the sessions and said, are what we seeing today birth pains? Now, since birth pains are tribulational, my answer was no, what we are seeing today is false labor. My wife has given birth four times. I now understand what false labor is. I cannot tell you how many times we thought we were going to the hospital. Pain would start and then it would stop. False labor. I'll tell you what, I was a nervous father for our first child when that happened. I just, uh, boy, you know, we've got to get you to the hospital. My wife calls the doctor, you know, we'll come in, we'll check you. False labor. That's what we're seeing today. The stage seems to be being set today. But the actual birth pangs will not take place until the tribulation. Well, in verse 9, we come to the word despise. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Boy, talk about stage setting. The world system is becoming more and more inhospitable to two groups of people. Have you noticed? Bible-believing Christians and those who are Jewish. Do I need to remind you that the fifth seal of Revelation chapter 6 has to do with the persecution and martyrdom of the tribulation saints i have a dear very dear rabbi friend in the greater phoenix area we get together often and i love him like a brother and i sense that uh he has great affection for me as well ruth and i had the joy of having uh Him as a a guest in our home recently for dinner, and what a great day that was. But recently, I took him to lunch, one of our favorite things to do. And uh, as we were talking, he said, Pat, he said, as I'm looking at the world, things are really going to get tough for the Jews again, aren't they? I said, yes, Rabbi, I'm afraid they are doesn't look good. Anti-Semitism is growing at a feverish rate. Then he said this to me. He said, well, Pat, he said, you have become identified with the Jewish people. And if persecution breaks out against the Jews, you might get hurt right along with us. He says, I think you need to find something else to do because I don't want to see you get hurt. I said, Rabbi, I have cast my lot with the Jewish people. And if it comes, I pray that God will give me the grace and the courage and the strength to be a Bonhoeffer and to suffer and, if necessary, to die with the Jewish people. Well, in verse 10, we move from despise to defection. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. You know, persecution has a purpose. It sorts, divides the true from the false, the real from the imposter, the possessor from the professor. And then in verse 11, we have deception. Deception. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Those who defect will be right for deception, and Satan will not disappoint them. The Apostle Paul writes of this time, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. We are living in an era that seems to be an era of great deception. People today have little discernment. But add to this Satan's power, the signs, the lying wonders. So many will be deceived. Verse 12, we have disillusionment. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. As persecution increases, so will perverseness, causing the love of many to grow cold. Now, we often use this text to castigate church-age pew warmers, and that may be a very good application. In fact, it is. But the interpretation places this text in the tribulation. In verse 13, we have deliverance, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Let me say to you, this verse has nothing to do with personal salvation during the church age. I once had a a pastor send me a a paper he had written, and it was titled, 26 Verses That Prove You Can Lose Your Salvation. And this was one of them. The end does not mean the end of this life. It refers to the end of the age. In fact, uh, verse 14 says, Uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Those tribulation believers who persevere, who do not defect, who endure in their faith, will be saved when the Lord comes at the end and delivers them from those who persecute them. In verse 14, we have delivery. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This is another often misunderstood, misused text. I was in a missionary conference in a western state, and uh, one of the other missionaries had a, a wonderful ministry. He, he uh, took uh, radio transmitters uh, in, into Russia and targeted the the uh, Muslim uh, nations and Muslim communities uh, in the former Soviet Union and I was blessed uh, by his attempts at evangelism but when he spoke he made this statement he said the rapture cannot take place until the gospel has been preached to all nations what has to happen before the rapture can take place absolutely nothing. Jesus may come at any moment. Warren Wiersbe says it so well. Revelation 7, verses 1 through 8, teaches that God will choose and seal 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will carry the kingdom message to the ends of the earth. This verse does not teach that the gospel of God's grace must be spread to every nation today before Jesus can return for his church. It is the Lord's return at the end that is in view here. Now we move from the signs to the second half of the tribulation. And notice the signal for this in verse 15. Therefore, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. It's my belief that it's at this point that we begin the last three and a half years of the tribulation, also known as the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist at this point, now remember how the tribulation begins. I don't believe it begins with the rapture of the church. I believe it begins with the Antichrist signing that special covenant assuring Israel's peace and security. And at this point, This world ruler who has portrayed himself to Israel as a peacemaker, as her protector, now becomes her persecutor. Now we have the scattering in verses 16 through 20. Because of this persecution comes scattering. Then, verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those uh, who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Those of you who have been around Winona Lake and Grace College and Seminary for a long time might remember the name Homer Kent. Homer Kent was the president of this institution and has written some wonderful books and articles. And let me quote from Homer Kent. He writes, When a faithful remnant of Israel refuses to perform the blasphemous worship of the abomination, persecution will break out and cause Israel to flee the land. No time will be available for an organized departure. Those relaxing on their rooftop lounges will have no time to pack. Farmers dare not return to their their houses for a few belongings. He continues, As people will be fleeing for their lives from the wrath of Antichrist, it will be especially difficult for pregnant women and mothers with small children. Travel for such persons is difficult under normal circumstances. When haste, fear, and inadequate preparation are added to the problem, the hardships will be much greater. End of quote. Dr. Kent said something that got me to thinking. As people are fleeing from the wrath of the Antichrist, isn't it interesting that when we look at Revelation chapter 6, as John concludes the seal judgments, he talks about the wrath of the Lamb upon the Gentile world. The wrath of the Lamb upon the Gentile world. But when he speaks of this wrath against Israel, against the Jewish people, it's the wrath of Antichrist. It's the wrath of Antichrist. Good distinction. Well, the severity is given in verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. You've got to get this book, Matthew, Thy Kingdom Come. Listen to what Dr. Walverd writes. That the period would be a time of unprecedented trouble is brought out clearly in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. One of the various judgments, the fourth seal, predicts a fourth part of the earth perishing. In Revelation 9, the sixth trumpet refers to a third part of the world's population being killed. These are only part of the great catastrophes which fall one after another upon the world and which will climax in a great world war, according to Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. He writes, The final judgment just before the second coming, described as the seventh bowl of the wrath of God, consists in a great earthquake, which apparently destroys cities of the world, and a hailstorm, with hailstones weighing a talent, or 110 pounds, Putting all these scriptures together, it indicates that the Great Tribulation will mark the death of hundreds of millions of people in a comparatively short period of time. There are those today who would tell us that all of this happened before 70 A.D. Folks, nothing even close to this has happened in all of human history. Well, the shortness, verse 22 And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, were allowed to pursue their evil intentions to the end, no one would escape. However, God cuts short their plans. For he will limit this period to three and a half years, at the end of which Michael, the angel prince who watches over Israel, will intervene according to Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. And the Messiah King, the Lord Jesus Christ, will then return in glory and majesty and power to claim his throne and to commence his rule and reign. More signs in verses 23 through 25. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs, false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if, if possible, even the elect. And then Jesus said, see, I have told you beforehand. The strongest possible deception and delusion continues and will intensify as the end nears. And then we have the splendor of the second coming. Notice verses 26 through 28. Therefore, if they say to you, look, He is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It is at this point that the prophet Zechariah's prophecy is fulfilled. And as Paul writes, it's at this point that all Israel will be saved. Although it is my belief that the signs and events of Matthew chapter 24 are tribulational in nature and are intended for the Jewish people and for the nation of Israel, it does appear that the stage is being set for the unfolding of these events even as we speak this morning. I live in Surprise, Arizona, northwest suburb of Phoenix, and we have a beautiful spring training facility trying to get Steve out there to see this. The Kansas City Royals, the Texas Rangers share the stadium. And this year I was able to attend a couple of the games, and I noticed the following takes place. The crowd always comes early. You have the smell of hot dogs, popcorn in the air. The players are out there stretching, and they're running back and forth, and balls are being thrown, and You think, well, you know, it can't be long until the game's going to begin. And as you're watching all of these signs that a game is coming take place, all of a sudden, an umpire steps forth and he says, Play ball! And the game begins. With the stage being set as it is, it may not be long before we hear the sound of the trumpet and the events of Matthew chapter 24 begin. Any mother will tell you that labor pains are excruciating, but the arrival of the baby makes it worth it all. My youngest daughter just gave birth to her third in May, and she was saying during her pregnancy, this is it, there will be no more. And shortly after the baby was born, she said, you know, I'm not sure The tribulation will be a time of unprecedented horror. Not only for the world, but for those who are Jewish. But the arrival of King Jesus will transform the sorrows of believing Jews and Gentiles into songs of joy. The songwriter has put it well, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ.